Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, Mine website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 17 in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, May the 26th. First, I'll be talking to Rowan Wilde, the co-founder of Australian fintech HealthPay, which is designed to help financially distressed Australians navigate the cost of living. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest jobs figures. But now let's talk to Rowan Wilde. Uh, Rowan, tell us about uh, the Australian fintech HealthPay. Uh, Leon, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, look, HealthPay is a social impact fintech. Uh, we we describe it really as a fintech with a heart, and we're tackling a really unique problem, which is sharing bills and you know costs for you know people when they need it to keep them out of debt. HelpPay is also helping Australian businesses by uh, making their bills one click shareable, so that anyone who wants to offer a bit of help to a family member or get a bit of help from family or friends can do so in a click. And uh, when a business is uh, subscribed with us, the uh, help help pay becomes transaction fee free. Our mission really is to make helping easier. And it's born from an observation and then a lot of research about debt and challenges in Australia that Australians have. You know, up to one third of bills in Australia are missed every year. Currently, one in four people are in some form of financial stress. About half the people share housing are doing so for financial reasons, because the fact is that now that quantitative easing has stopped, life is getting very expensive very, very quickly. And really, just we just want to make the world a bit fairer and a bit easier because you know the majority of people want to help family and friends and uh, will do so when it's easy to make a payment and know where their money is going. And just quickly, I think that's one of the unique things about HelpPay. Well, it is one of the unique things about HelpPay that when you make a payment through HelpPay on behalf of a family or friend member paying some or all of their bill, the money that they've asked for help for, we have validated as a real bill. And the money that you pay, be it, you know, 100 bucks, 50 bucks, 20 bucks towards a friend or family member's electricity or gas bill or telco bill, for example, that money only goes directly to the right account at the right company every time. So unlike just flicking money into someone's bank account or using GoFundMe, which always just ends up in someone's personal bank account, 
we make sure that when you give money for a reason, you know, to help your friend with their, their gas bill, the money only goes directly to pay that gas bill. And that's a unique value proposition for uh, customers and businesses in Australia. That's fascinating because, I mean, help pay then becomes almost like a GoFundMe. We, are, we, we believe, and we, we've looked extensively throughout Australia, Asia, North America and Europe and the UK. We can't find another company like us, which is, if you think about it, you could just send, if you need a bit of help or you're sharing bills between housemates, you know, you could send it to one person, you know, let's say we're best friends and I need a bit of help. I can send it just to you and you can choose whether you'll help me and if you will, to what extent. Or I can send it to a group of people. And we've had stories of, you know, mum lives in Perth, but all the kids are scattered around Australia. And so they put the bill into, say, a family WhatsApp group. And then they each chip away at their bit of the bill to help mum out, to help mum out for a bit. And the money that they pay, say 33 bucks each on that $99 NBN bill, for example, goes straight to the NBN company. Mum doesn't have to worry about money trickling into a bank account and then sending it on. And does she wait for all of it to come into the bank account? It just chips away and goes straight in. So it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a single payer model and also a, a group funding model. And we do also have the ability for people to share their link on email, on SMS, WhatsApp, any social media or chat app. So it's really, really easy to ask and give a bit of help to the people that you care about. That's quite fascinating because how did you actually create your community? I'll talk talk quickly about how we started. We started, HelpPay, the the, the idea for HelpPay was born when, as all great Australian businesses seem to start, when we're sitting around a table having having a drink and a bit of a chat and a bit of a barbecue. And nearly everyone around the table that night, you know, as conversations go, I, I know this person in trouble. I know this person who needs a bit of help. Or this person, you know, is going through hard times. And every single person's response at the table, because again, most people are really kind hearted, you know, they're, they're empathetic and you care about the people you care about or the people that the people you care about. Everyone's response was, oh, that's, oh, how can I help? What can I do to help? What does that person need? And while that help was really well-intentioned, there was no obvious way for anyone to do, to action that help. But I, you know, we realized in that moment, if someone at that table had had a link and said, oh, here's my mates, you know, they need a bit of help. Here's a link to my mate's gas bill. Don't worry, the money goes straight to the company. Well, that gas bill would have been paid in an instant. It would have almost been like a, a social thing where everyone would have said, oh, send me the link. I'll, I'll chuck in 10 bucks. I'll chuck in 20 bucks. And we also realized that, you know, partially during COVID when it was just so hard to, re- to reach each other and reaching each other physically is not something that's limited to COVID. You know, you've got families spread out across cities and states and countries you know that you could give you know you you could send out it was easier to send alcohol to someone's house and get it remotely delivered than it was to help pay someone's bill and don't get me wrong $50 worth of wine might be fun but tomorrow the person who needs help is going to wake up with a hangover and still be wondering um, how they're going to pay the electricity bill this month so we just thought well what if you could repurpose that money into a way that would you know keep going for 30 or 90 days and also uh, enable that person to feel a bit of relief so, so when was this? When was this conversation taking place? March 2020. Right at the beginning of COVID? Right at the beginning of COVID. We had been talking for a little while about it anyway. Just, you know, credit card debt was almost the highest it had been in Australia at that time. You know, I don't know if you remember pre-COVID, there were a lot of people doing it really tough pre-COVID. And then obviously a lot of government supports throughout COVID was a bit of a pressure uh, valve release. But even throughout COVID, you know, even when we launched last year, we've just seen usage climb and climb and climb because people from all walks of life, people even earning up to $100,000 a year miss a bill every year. And as I mentioned, 
you know, one in four people are in financial stress in some form in Australia at the moment. But the, you know, people just want to help and, you know, people need that bit of help. And really, we're also trying to destigmatize what helping is and, and making it just that bit easier. And we're doing that with our, our corporate partners and our corporate offering because businesses work on hard signals. You know, I've joined send out the welcome communications. I fail to pay on time, send SMSs and big red scary letters and phone calls chasing that person for the money. But what if they don't have it? You know, what if they've missed multiple bills within a week or two? So that's a lot of pressure for that person to feel. So you not only have ordinary people in the community, but you also have corporates as well? Yeah, that's right. Our, our offering is really designed to help corporates have, have a greater social responsibility in a commercially appropriate way. What we allow businesses to do is sign up to our uh, business plans, our SaaS business plans, and uh, prevent debt and make it easy, make, make all their bills shareable in a single click. And by doing that, by being able to put a help pay link on the payment slip of a BPAY bill, you know, next to your Visa card statement, here's how to pay at OzPost and here's how to pay at Centrelink, here's how to use help pay. And you click on that link and it, it gives you a little link that you can just share with family and friends to help pay some or all of that bill. Now, from a business point of view, that's amazing. Because the majority of people who are in trouble who don't pay on time, and I know this from working in uh, you know, large uh, service providers in healthcare and insurance and uh, energy in Australia, the majority of people who don't pay on time don't call to say they're not going to. But what we found at HelpPay is that people will put their bill into HelpPay and ask for help 10 days before that bill is due. So they're willing to tell us something that they're not willing to tell, albeit passively, you know, they tell us and then they share the bill with their family and friends, but they're willing to tell us something that they don't want to tell their, their company that they're with. And, you know, Leon, if you think about it in this day and age, why should, a, why should a customer have to call a company? Everything else is digital. You can join online, you can change your plan, you can change your name. Why should I have to call and talk to someone for a bit of relief? And the other question I'd ask, you know, these days is why would a business want to hold on to that information with a threat of ID theft and hacking? Why would you want to know if someone's, you know, record that someone's lost their job or their daughter's in hospital sick or they've had a car accident? That's really valuable personal information to hackers. And an electricity company simply doesn't need to have a, a version of your health record because you are hoping for a bit of bill relief. The smarter, simpler way to go is just make your bills shareable. And the people that need help can silently and discreetly go off and get it from the people that they trust and trust them. You've helped survivors of domestic violence and substance abuse recover financially. Right? We, we have, yeah. We've got um, several users who have come forward and, and told their story. Uh, we've actually built in, we took a lot of the recommendations from the Hain Royal Commission um, and we saw how uh, internal description fields are being used in banking to send abusive messages. I don't know if you remember those headlines from a couple of years ago. So we made sure that inside the app, while you can either, you can pay anonymously, you can choose to share. We obviously encourage you to share with a real name, but if you wanted to use it for a pseudonym, if you're a victim survivor, you can do that. And we've also built in a really unique feature which turns off automatic discoverability. Because what perpetrators of domestic violence do is, you know, when you join an app and it says, do you want to connect your contacts? and invite everyone that you've ever met. Well, that also tells you whether that person's on the app, right? So if you are a victim survivor and you're trying to get away from your perpetrator, you don't want to be found. So we've, a, we've built into this a security feature which enables victim survivors to use help pay and not be automatically found if, if their perpetrator's also picked up the app. So we have, you know, been really proud to be part of those journeys of those victim survivors who have used help pay to keep the lights on and get, get, get the electricity connected or... Uh, pr provide a bond for a new rental or whatever they need in that moment to get out. Now, $64 question is, I mean, you're based in Australia. Yes, we are. I've never heard of this kind of model being used anywhere else in the world. You're quite unique. Is there potential for you to expand 
overseas, like perhaps New Zealand or Asia? Absolutely. And it's definitely on our roadmap. We, we are a completely unique Australian business. We can't find another business, as I think I mentioned before, anywhere in the world. There are two kinds of countries that are really interesting to us. High care, low social safety net countries. So the United States obviously is, is one of those where philanthropy in the States is absolutely massive. Unfortunately, recidivism uh, back into prison is, in, is absolutely massive. But there's also very low social safety net. So when someone gets out of prison, the last thing you want to do is send them back to the neighborhoods that they came from with thousands of dollars in cash. But if they had you know, a year's worth of electricity paid for them and a year's worth of water and rent secured, well, they would be able to focus on, you know, getting a job or getting the help that they need for various other things. We, we are also looking at other countries overseas in the early stages that uh, have similar systems to BPay in Australia. So BPay is, you know, we are one of the first companies to take up and use uh, one of some of BPay's APIs in this way. And we've now put a, a wrapped a patent around how we do what we do. Uh, but absolutely, uh, there are three or four other countries around the world that have uh, BPay-like systems, and uh, those are high on our list. We could absolutely take us to New Zealand, and we are also looking at countries that have high inflows and outflows to Australia. So, you know, India, China, the Philippines, Indonesia, New Zealand. Well, Rowan, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much for your time, Leon. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. And now let's talk to Indeed economist Callum Pickering. Well, Callum... Unemployment has risen to 3.7% and wages have also gone up. What's your assessment? Yeah, it was an interesting set of labour market figures we got this week. The the wage wage growth picked up at 3.7%, which was the strongest result we've seen in a decade. Unfortunately, it also occurs in an environment where inflation is near a three-decade high. So despite that increase in wages, our purchasing power has actually gone backwards at a, a new record rate. The labour market figures themselves, there was some good and bad. The unemployment uh, rate increased to, to 3.7% from 3.5%, and employment was actually down 4,300 people. But we saw a big increase in hours worked, and we also saw a bit of a decline in the underemployment rate. Uh, so on net, the, the labour market remains very, very tight, just not quite as tight as it was a few months ago. Are we seeing some early signs of employment growth easing? Certainly, I mean, the employment figures are very volatile from month to month. And so in real time, it can often be very difficult to get a sense of whether the market has shifted or not. Uh, but I will say this, uh, in three of the past five months, we have seen uh, very weak employment figures. Now, we did see quite strong numbers across February and March, but the other three months over the, the past five have been very very weak. And if you put those five months together, you do get a sense that maybe the labour market is entering a, a new phase of this cycle um, where employment growth has um, slowed. And if the economy uh, slows as well over the remainder of this year, then you could easily see a situation where employment growth is maybe flat. Um, and if that was to eventuate, then we would likely see the unemployment rate pick up. Are you seeing any big changes in the short term to the unemployment rate? So I think a near-term spike in the unemployment rate is unlikely, and that's mostly because forward-looking indicators of labour demand, such as job vacancies, remain really healthy. And so we're currently in an environment where if someone loses their job, they can reasonably expect to find a new job pretty quickly. And that should put a cap on the unemployment rate in the near term. But as we know, economies can change really quickly. And so if the economy does begin to deteriorate, um, particularly with regards to household spending, then we could see a lot of those job opportunities dry up pretty quickly. But at least for now, right at this minute, 
there are a lot of jobs available across the country and that should support employment growth over the, the next few months. There are signs of a clear slowdown in job creation. Where are they most felt? In what states? Well, what we're seeing is that um, we haven't seen any employment growth in New South Wales over the past five to six months, which is a really interesting development because, of course, uh, Sydney is, is often the engine room of the Australian economy. Uh, it's where so many uh, big organisations are headquartered. Uh, it's where a lot of the hiring decisions come from. And so if we do continue to see these weaker results in, in New South Wales, it could very easily spill over into some hiring decisions in other states as well. So that'll be one to keep an eye on. That'll be fascinating to what? What does that mean for the RBA? Well, both the, the wage figures and the, uh, the unemployment figures were broadly in line with the Reserve Bank's thinking. So we don't anticipate that uh, the, the new data is going to fundamentally change the way they view the economy. Right now, they obviously feel as though they need uh, further rate hikes in order to contain inflation. And given that inflation is currently running at 7% compared to the RBA's target of 2 to 3%, it's hard to disagree with that assessment. We think it's likely that they're going to hike rates in June and then maybe again in August. Beyond that's a little bit difficult to determine simply because there is a lot of uncertainty surrounding uh, how the household sector is going to evolve given the, the challenges that, that the household sector is, is facing. Uh, but certainly it appears likely that we are going to see further rate hikes from the Reserve Bank in the, the near future. That has been complicated because you've got the Fair Work Commission is considering the national wage cuts too. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that could potentially put some upward pressure on um, wages. Um, the Reserve Bank will obviously be closely watching that. They are very concerned right now with uh, inflation that they're seeing on the service sector. They think that it's proven to be a little bit sticky or more persistent than they would have anticipated. And it's mostly been driven by domestic factors such as wages. So any any agreement that pushes wage growth higher into maybe the, the 4% annual range could certainly lead to higher rates from the Reserve Bank. And that's that's basically coming from the service sector because domestic sources of inflation appear to be holding up, but the foreign source of inflation is starting to subside. Yeah, this has been an interesting development. So very early in this, infl early in this inflation outbreak, it was driven by overseas factors. Uh, not domestic factors. That has switched over the past six months or so, so that now we're in a situation where domestic sources of inflation are remaining elevated and we are seeing an easing of overseas-based um, drivers of inflation, uh, which means that domestic factors are primarily to blame for the inflation situation we are currently in. Um, so wages is obviously a, a, a big part of that. It's not all of it, but it is a, a big part of that. The Reserve Bank will obviously be wanting to, to bring down those domestic price pressures uh, because it's basically impossible to get inflation back to 2 to 3% unless you get uh, domestic price pressures down to around at least 3 to 4% as, as a general rule. So that'll be something they'll be looking to achieve. But that's despite the fact that while wages are rising, uh, people's incomes are still going backwards because of the rate of inflation. Yeah, that's the unfortunate situation here. Um, you know, highest wage growth in, in a decade. And yet over the past year, adjusted for inflation, Australian wages have fallen by 3.2%. And they're down by 7.2% from their peak, which 
basically means that uh, inflation-adjusted wages in Australia are currently at their lowest level in 13 years. Uh, we've lost more than a decade of hard-won wage gains over the course of just a 12-month period. And that really does highlight just how damaging inflation is, that it can cause this much damage to our purchasing power over such a short period, and how important it is that the Reserve Bank gets on top of inflation very quickly, because I don't think we can afford to have another year like the one we've just had. The budget forecast that inflation will come down over the next two years, I mean, how accurate would you regard those forecasts? I mean, history tells us that forecasting uh, economic variables such as inflation is incredibly difficult. If the federal government proves to be correct, then I think that would be a, a reasonable outcome. I mean, ideally, you'd like inflation to come down uh, a little bit quicker than that. Um, but orchestrating that can be quite difficult because it would require a very aggressive policy from the Reserve Bank, which would potentially increase the risks of a severe downturn or recession. But we also need to be mindful that there's going to be upside risks to these forecasts as well. There's a possibility that inflation remains a little bit uh, more persistent than anticipated, particularly given uh, the concerns that the Reserve Bank has around the service sector and domestically driven. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Inflation sources. So it wouldn't necessarily be surprising if inflation held up a little bit more um, than perhaps the federal government anticipates. Which could mean that inflation would remain sticky for quite a few years. Yeah, which would be an indication that the uh, Reserve Bank would have to be more aggressive on rates. So that's really the, the, the downside scenario right there. And that's, that's certainly what um, households and businesses across the nation are hoping doesn't eventuate, because that would be a very damaging scenario for... Uh, for Australians and, and the economy more broadly. Well, as, as Glenn Stevens says, it's a once-in-a-generation issue for central banks all over the world. Well, exactly. We haven't seen an inflation outbreak like that in uh, three decades. But we also need to remember that three decades ago, that inflation outbreak triggered a pretty severe recession in Australia. So that is the sort of thing that we're, we're dealing with. That's the sort of thing we're trying to avoid. And, and right now, the economic forecast from both the Reserve Bank and the Federal Treasury suggests that we might avoid a recession, but it's, it's certainly not a, a certainty um, that we, we avoid it. So, you know, the, it, it's going to be really important, um, the decisions that policymakers make over the next year or two. Well, Callum, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. So what's happening in the news? Well, US business economists are optimistic that the banking and debt ceiling turmoil won't turn into full-blown crises. However, a majority of them also believe a recession is still in the cards, 
although likely starting later than previously thought, according to a new survey released on Monday. About 59% of 42 economists surveyed by the National Association for Business Economics earlier this month said they believe it's more likely than not that the United States will enter a recession in the next 12 months, according to the May NABE Outlook, which provides a consensus macroeconomic forecast from dozens of professional economists. While that share is largely unchanged from surveys conducted in February and December 2022, the latest forecast shows a further kicking of the can down the road in terms of when a recession could start. In February, the majority of economists said a downturn could start in the first half of the year. Now, that's shifted to the third quarter or later. There was, however, greater consensus on inflation. The Federal Reserve's rate-hiking counterattack, banking turmoil and debt ceiling uncertainty. More than half, 55% of surveyed economists, believe the debt ceiling will be raised. 42% the debt ceiling will be suspended, while 3% believe the United States will default on its debts. The biggest negative year-ahead risk cited by a plurality of respondents was too much monetary tightness. Since March of last year, the Fed has engaged in ratcheting up of monetary policy, raising its benchmark interest rate 10 consecutive times in an attempt to slow down inflation. The NABE economists expect that inflation will continue to moderate. However, a majority of respondents believe it will take until 2025 or later for the Fed's primary inflation gauge, the port the core personal consumption expenditures index, to reach the 2% target. The economist surveyed expects interest rates to remain elevated through the rest of the year, and nearly half expect that the Fed will start cutting rates in the first quarter of next year. And Facebook owner Meta Platforms Inc. was hit by a record 1.2 billion euro, that's US $1.3 billion, European Union privacy fine, and given a deadline to stop shipping users' data to the United States after regulators said it failed to protect personal information from the American security services. The social network's giant continued data transfers to the US didn't address the risk to the fundamental rights and freedoms of people whose data was being transferred across the Atlantic, the Irish Data Protection Commission said on Monday. On top of the fine, which eclipses a 746 million euro EU privacy penalty previously doled out to Amazon, Inc. Meta was given five months to suspend any future transfer of personal data to the United States and six months to stop the unlawful processing, including storage in the US, of transferred personal EU data. And Victorians with investment properties and holiday homes will be among those hardest hit by an Andrews government budget attempting to rein in debt and fund its infrastructure program with a multi-billion dollar tax grab. A land tax hike will catch 860,000 property investors, holiday homeowners and commercial property owners and rip the government $4.7 billion over four years. Victorian Treasurer Tim Pallas said that COVID-19 debt levy would hit those most able to pay, extracting $3.9 billion from businesses with payrolls above $10 million and $4.7 billion from property investors over the next four years. The levy will remain in place for a decade, taking the total additional tax collection to more than $20 billion while businesses with a payroll of over $10 million will also have to pay an extra $3.9 billion over four years. Despite the tax increases, Tuesday's budget revealed Victoria's debt will continue to rise to record levels. Net debt will lift from $135.4 billion next financial year to $171.4 billion by 2027, the equivalent of 24.5% of the economy. The state's net debt is on track to hit $116 billion by the end of next month, $31.5 billion of which can be attributed to spending during the pandemic, about a quarter of the overall bill. Government belt tightening, including the cutting of 4,000 public service jobs in the next financial year, will save $2.1 billion over four years. 
and suppliers will be required to notify federal public servants if, if their personnel are pinged for bad behaviour, a tightening of rules made in response to the PwC tax leak scandal. The new notification of significant event clauses included in an update to procurement rules published on Friday also covers a provider's ability to, to deliver on a promised service. The updated Department of Finance rules also remind public servants they must consider a potential supplier's relevant experience and performance history when assessing value for money. The clauses require a service provider to notify the entity managing the contract immediately upon becoming aware of any adverse findings made by a court, commission, tribunal or other statutory or professional body regarding the conduct of the service provider or its capacity to deliver the agreed services, the rules now state. The changes are part of the government's still emerging response to a scandal which involved a breach of trust between the nation's largest consulting firm and its biggest client, the Commonwealth. Internal firm emails published by a Senate committee at the start of May revealed dozens of PwC partners and staff received emails relating to a plan to exploit for profit information a former partner had gleaned while advising the government on developing the multinational tax avoidance laws. In response, Finance Minister Katie Gallagher said she was looking to address gaps in existing procurement rules to stop a repeat of the breaches, while Treasurer Jim Chalmers has vowed to beef up the power of the Tax Practitioners Board, the agency that uncovered the malfeasance and other still unspecified action. Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones said the Treasury is investigating and is weighing referring the matter to the Australian Federal Police. The enhanced rules have been released amid reports of an informal go-slow by public servants when it comes to awarding PwC winning new work or contract extensions in Canberra. It is also happening as politicians, experts and lobby groups call for the firm to be banned for a period from government work. PwC has won contracts worth $537 million across the federal government during the past two years. Former senior bureaucrat Andrew Podger who also supports a ban on PwC winning Commonwealth work, said the new rules will help public servants make informed decisions about buying services. And inflation for grocery staples from peanut butter to pork chops is outpacing price rises for almost all other goods in the nation's shopping trolleys, even pushing up the cost of Australia's morning scrape of Vegemite. Analysis by UBS economists showing food inflation is running at 9.6%, well above the overall inflation rate of 7%, with the shelf prices for goods such as Vegemite, up 8%, bigger peanut butter up 9%, and some types of yoghurt up 12%. The UBS research, which tracks more than 60,000 prices of grocery products at Coles and Woolworths every month, found fresh food prices had climbed by 9.9% in the year to April, while dry grocery goods were up by 9.4%. But there are signs that prices for fresh food may be starting to ease, albeit remaining at an elevated level. Cost of living pressures on Australians have intensified due to the combination of soaring inflation and increases in interest rates by the Reserve Bank aimed at bringing it down. And a profound sense of gloom has overtaken consumers in Australia and the United States as they dig in for a lengthy period of stubbornly strong inflation and interest rates at levels not seen for more than a decade. Consumer confidence has crumbled even though the jobless rates in both countries continues to hover close to record lows. But even though consumer sentiment has clearly soured, it's not bad yet enough to force central banks to contemplate cutting interest rates. That means that the big question for investors is whether this pervasive pessimism will make consumers cut their spending much more viciously in the second half of the year. This would precipitate an abrupt economic slowdown, given that consumer spending is the main driver of economic growth and possibly even producing interest rate cuts that financial markets continue to expect. Judging by the University of Michigan's latest sentiment survey, US consumers have settled into a dour mood, with the index tumbling 
5.8 points to 57.7 in May. Australian consumers are no more cheerful. The latest Westpac Melbourne Institute survey shows consumer sentiment dropping 7.9% from 85.8 in April to 79 in May. Consumers, it appears, were deeply disheartened by both the Reserve Bank's surprise decision to lift interest rates in May and by the Federal Budget's failure to provide more relief for the struggling household. As Westpac Chief Economist Bill Evans said, consumer sentiment is back near the historic lows we have only really seen on a sustained basis in the deep recession of the early 1990s. And Australian mining and energy companies could get expanded access to billions of dollars worth of subsidies from US President Joe Biden's signature Inflation Reduction Act under deals to grant special status to the country's defence, manufacturing and critical minerals industry. The plans were announced after Prime Minister Anthony Albanese met Mr Biden on the sidelines of the Group of Seven Summit in Japan, where the leaders of the world's major industrialised economies were also united in strong condemnation of China's economic coercion and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Mr Biden also announced he would ask Congress to define Australia as a, as a domestic source for sectors deemed critical such as defence, critical minerals and clean energy. While details were sketchy, the leaders said the move could make sectors like energy and rare earths a third pillar of the alliance. It means Australian companies in areas such as hydrogen could get access to US subsidies and other benefits under the US Inflation Reduction Act without having to leave Australia. The federal government expects Australian energy firms to benefit directly from the deal, including through new loans for the production of batteries and energy systems. The Act extends provisions for US firms through mechanisms including the US-Australia Free Trade Agreement, allowing commodities such as lithium to qualify for grants. Mr Albanese told Parliament on Monday that having the US treat Australia as a domestic supplier under the Production Act would allow our industries to benefit from the Inflation Reduction Act and create big opportunities for Australia to build our renewable energy industry and create jobs, including in the hydrogen sector. The Prime Minister's remarks give the impression that Australian firms would indirectly tap into the US $369 billion Inflation Reduction Act, a vast program of subsidies, production credits and tax sweeteners passed into law last year to spur US-made renewables, transport and energy development. By now, pay-ladder providers will face tough new regulations that will require groups to comply with responsible lending obligations and other consumer safeguards as part of a government crackdown on the sector. The new regulatory regime, announced on Monday by Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones, will affect several groups, including afterpayments. Under the new laws, buy-now pay-later products will be classified as credit products, meaning operators will have to comply with the National Consumer Credit Protection Act and hold an Australian credit licence. The new laws will also require providers to have processes to handle dispute resolution and hardship claims. The new laws will also seek to stamp out unacceptable marketing by the groups and require groups to show their products are suitable for their users. And Australia needs to substitute ethanol and fuel and offer significant tax breaks to renewable fuels if it wants to reach its international climate targets, including net zero by 2050, a new report has found. After the Albanese government flagged that it would introduce fuel efficiency standards next year to cut transport emissions, a new report by Biofuels Australia has recommended a string of new measures, including setting a target of 10% renewable fuels by 2030. Other recommendations include maintaining and extending the fuel excise mechanism to renewable fuels, as well as low interest government loans to renewable fuel startups. Bioenergy Australia Chief Executive Shahana McKenzie said renewable fuels were the missing piece of the puzzle when it came to reducing emissions in Australia. The renewal report by consulting firm Deloitte says the development of a mature biofuels industry over the next decade could add up to $10 billion in gross domestic product a year and deliver 26,000 new jobs.
and a failure to lift productivity will make access to healthcare more expensive, with the sector lagging behind the national average, many bankers warned. Australia's biggest private health fund has called for more partnerships between insurers, hospitals and governments to eliminate silos that have restricted innovation and created inefficiencies in the sector. McKinsey found Australia's healthcare system had averaged annual productivity growth of 1.9% for seven years through to 2022, lagging other key industries. This is despite it recording the biggest increase in employment with an annual growth rate of 4.8%. Agriculture and manufacturing both surpassed healthcare, recording productivity growth rates of 92 and 3.7% respectively, while both sectors' workforces shrank by 1%. Meanwhile, the Reserve Bank has become increasingly worried that flatlining productivity will make it harder to achieve inflation targets without higher rates. And unions will be given special access rights, including inductions that include management to foreign workers brought in to fill aged care staff shortages under migration rules backed by the Albanese government. The government's first labour agreement for temporary skilled workers in aged care announced last week includes a memorandum of understanding that features seven pages of union access conditions and expanded labour market testing. The aged care labour agreement at Curtin Heritage in Perth is set to deliver 570 staff over five years. It is the first step in what has been called a grand bargain with unions to allow the fast-tracking of low-paid migrant workers into the country to ease workforce shortages in aged care. But migration agents and aged care employers have warned that some providers are balking at the MOU, labelling it as union overreach that will prevent providers signing up. Under the MOU, management is expressly barred from attending the inductions unless they're invited by the union and make a positive statement about the relationship with the union and the ongoing commitment to work together. There is speculation the model will be extended to other sectors that have used labour agreements, including hospitality and the meat industry. And the National Disability Insurance Scheme has already exceeded full-year participant forecasts that were released just months ago, and the program is experiencing strong enrolment rates among children with autism as it hurdles towards 1 million participants. There were 592,059 participants in the NDIS as of March, according to National Disability Insurance Agency's latest quarterly report, released late on Friday afternoon. With about 200 people joining the scheme every day, the NDIS is likely to have breached its 2022-23 financial year forecast of 592,294 participants in the first week of April. On current trends, the NDIS will have 610,000 participants by June 30, about 3% higher than projections released by the Scheme Actuary in November. If enrolment rates hold steady at 6,000 monthly sign-ups, the program will exceed its June 2024 projection of 646,000 participants by December this year. The NDIA forecasts that the program will have more than 1 million participants by 2032 and costs close to $100 billion annually. It said the increase in children with developmental delay and autism entering the scheme had been more than expected. And one of Australia's largest mining companies says the government's proposed same-job, same-pay policy would cost the organisation up to $1.3 billion a year and would threaten jobs if rushed through Parliament. The federal government is seeking feedback on the workplace reform, which it plans to legislate later this year, that would see labour hire workers paid at least as much as directly employed workers doing the same job. Employment and Workplace Relations Minister Tony Burke hit back at BHP's costings, given the policy is not yet finalised. BHP said it supported the government's goal of protecting vulnerable workers, but said in a submission that the same job, same pay, SJSP policy, in its current form, would seriously affect its operations, harm productivity and risk the future of all forms of labour hire. BHP estimates the financial costs of SJSP to Australian operations will be $1.3 billion annually, 
This cost is equivalent to the labour cost of approximately 5,000 full-time employees across our operational workforce, the company said. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Jim Penman, the founder of the franchising company Jim's Group, which has had a strong growth over the last two years. And I'll be talking to RMIT economist Jonathan Boimel about house prices. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. If you want to contact me, email me at leon at leongetler.com. I answer all emails. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.